Well, we are in the final week of a five-week series that we've called The Cornerstone. Now, I should tell you, if you've missed the previous four, I'd point you to our website where you can pick up our podcast. It keeps growing. For some reason, somebody in London, England listens every week. They're one of our most consistent listeners. It cracks me up um, why someone in England likes someone in North Dakota, but there you go. During our series, we are considering Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of our lives. Jesus Christ is described in the Bible as the cornerstone. God as He is for our lives. This gets defined for us in the Old Testament. In Psalm 118, 22, and 23, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. We've looked at these several verses every week. We do it again. Jesus is our cornerstone. It is the Lord's doing. Peter makes that clear for us in Acts 4 that this cornerstone is Jesus. Saying this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. He is our salvation. And as we established a while back, He is our hope. Jesus. For salvation can be found in nothing else, nowhere else. 1 Peter 1.3, Peter continues to assert that for us. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. For He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is our hope, a living hope, and the only hope that can fulfill. In Psalm 91, 14-16, it is written, Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him. Because he knows my name when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In the book of Psalms, it is put before us that God is our deliverance. He's our protection, our answerer, our rescuer, our honorer, our satisfaction, and our salvation. And last week, we came to the fourth week to establish that He is our strength. And for all the places we could point, we looked at 2 Corinthians 12.9, which says this, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That Jesus is sufficient for our need. All of it. That His grace is enough for our entire lives, and that His sufficiency as Lord is shown most brilliantly when we are weak. Friends, when we're strong, it's easy not to depend on Him. It's easy not to walk on Him, to live through Him. But when we're weak, sometimes He's all we have. And that's when His strength is shown to be sufficient. Because He can carry us, and He will carry us 
through even the most precarious of situations, this has been our assertion for these last five weeks that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, that he's our hope, he's our protection, and he's our strength. So whether your challenges in life, your unsureties that we all come on a Sunday morning with, whether those are stemming from political events that continue to spin out of control, or world events like hurricanes, or terrorism, or refugees, or ISIS, or whether your challenges are coming much closer to home in your family, in your relationships, or in your health. We want to put forth to you the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, as he is, so that you will see him as he is, as our cornerstone, our cornerstone, as our hope, as our protection. Because if you have a relationship with him, if you call him Christ, the Bible would say to you that your house is not built on sand, but it's built on the rock. That you have a sure foundation, an enduring hope, a forever protector, and a sustaining strength. I've repeated that a lot to you over the last four weeks, hoping that it will take and take and take. Because we need to lean into the reality that none of these things can come from that which is seen, according to Paul. But they come from Jesus Christ, from his completed work on the cross, and from his resurrection from the dead. And in him and through him, we have that. We have a foundation, we have a hope, we have a protection, and we have a strength. And this week, our fifth week, we want to build on that for a capstone comment to say that we have a king. And how everything about Jesus as our king will determine what we think about the previous four weeks and will bear into that even further as we search the scriptures. In Matthew 16, 13 through 17, Jesus asks a very pointed question. And this is what he says. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus Who do people say that I am? And it's an incredibly important question. And so the disciples respond. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They all put guesses, assertions. And what I want to put before you is they're putting hollow guesses. They're putting before Jesus that some people say that you're a hollow version of who you are. And one of the things I want you to see in this is that we are very tempted to have a hollow version of Jesus. That we think of him not as the Bible portrays him, but that as our experience might put before us, or as somebody else might give us, we have a hollow version of Jesus that won't sustain. So Jesus pushes it to a more crucial question. Not to who do people say that I am, But who do you say that I am? See, that's the big question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because how you answer that question gets to the reality 
and the nature of salvation. And it'll push us to a greater understanding of what your foundation is, what your hope is, what your strength is, what your protection is. Who do you say that I am? See, if you believe in Jesus, but you only consider him as a historical figure, as many people do, or possibly even a good teacher, as many people do, or a good moral man, as many people do, then your belief in Jesus is a belief in a hollow version of Jesus that will not carry And it won't give you hope. And it won't fulfill you, protect you, or give you strength. See, it's what you believe about Jesus that carries all five of these weeks. Because how you trust Christ says what you think is important. It shows us our foundation. And that's why Jesus presses in here. And we will press in. Who do you say that he is? And this is a very literal question, by the way. One worth you pondering. One you should literally ask yourself. One at which you should write down and spend some time on paper working through. Who do I say that Jesus is? And for the time being, I'm going to let Peter bail you out. But please go through the exercise. Because the text says that Peter claims in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter says, You are the Christ. Now, just for a moment, let's descend in some nerdiness. When he says, You are the Christ, our word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. The Greek Christos is translated from the Hebrew word Messiah. Nerdiness, kind of done. The word Messiah in the Old Testament, and there are obviously way too many places for us to look at for context, means the deliverer, the anointed one, the expected one. It's the one who is going to come to fulfill and claim the throne of David as king in fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Messiah was the one who would redeem God's people in fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Messiah was the one who would free them from the bondage of sin in fulfillment of the Old Testament. And that the Messiah was the one who would free us from our sin and rule forever as king per the Old Testament. When Simon says, You are the Christ. He's saying so much more than a word. He's saying, you are the king. You are everything. So when Peter bears this testimony, when he puts this out, how do you expect Jesus would respond? Because Jesus here Ask Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the fulfillment. Let's just pause here for a second. 
a little apologetic work. See, if Jesus was just a historical figure, this is a great time to interject, isn't it? No, well, that's cool. I'm not actually the Messiah. I'm just going to be a historical figure. Lots of people are going to talk about me later. But he doesn't say that. He could say, no, you know, I'm just a moral philosopher. I just came to teach, not really going to live it out. Just want you to hear some good things from me. And yet, when Peter puts before the disciples a testimony that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Son of the living God, this is how Jesus replies in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus basically says, you nailed it. As Austin Shower commonly says in Awana, I hear him in my office, winner, winner, chicken dinner. You are correct. Jesus puts before them, in your testimony that I am the king, you are absolutely, incredibly dead on. And you didn't come to this on your own. My Father gave it to you. Jesus doesn't run away from being called the King here. He doesn't run away from being the Messiah. In fact, He leans into it. So what I want us to do over our next couple of minutes is take some consideration to what does the Bible say under God's authority and His inspired Word, what does it say about Him? What does it say about His kingdom? What does it say about His kingship? What does it say about His authority? Because if He's going to claim to be the King, and what we think about Him is important, we should know what the Bible says. Yes? Thank you. Paula bailed me out. In Matthew 28, at the beginning of commissioning all of his disciples, which by the way includes you, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's pause for a second and consider that. Jesus, who the New Testament is affirming is the Messiah, is the King, says, how much authority? All of it. And where is this authority expressed? In heaven and on earth. All of it. All authority in heaven. All authority on earth. He rules in every heavenly place you could possibly conceive of. He rules in every earthly place you've ever dreamed of. Carrying all authority. Which is to say this, you cannot find a place where he is not ruling in absolute sovereign power. His words, all authority has been given to me. So what does that authority look like? Let's bounce around the New Testament and quote almost every author. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, Jesus speaking, says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. 
and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him, what does Jesus say here? All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus says, everything is in my hands. All of it. John records this too in John 3.35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Now, I'm not so much of a nerd, but let's lean into it again. If we were to classify what the word all means, what do you think it means? Everything. Nick bailed me out. Awesome, right? So whatever it is that's before you, that's waging war on your soul, is that included in all? Yes. Paul bails me out again. We should keep score. All things are in his hand. All of it. John 17.2, later on in the book of John, it says this, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him, it is then asserted that Jesus, who has all things in his hand, also has authority over all flesh, which is to say that every person who might be giving you challenge or struggle are they included in this? Yes. All flesh is under his authority. Paul writing in the book of Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is God the Father. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, you see a picture of Jesus Christ raised from the dead, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, above all rule and authority, above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Jesus is superior to all names of that age, of our age, and of any age to come. There is no one who will ever surpass him in authority or glory. So we might ask ourselves, when did he receive it? And John would explain that to us in John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything that was made. John asserts here that Jesus Christ, in the beginning, was with God. That He is a pre-existent, pre-eternal being that has ruled forever. And that all things, we could lean into all again, but I think we get the point. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing would be made. Paul agrees with this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, when Paul writes this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What the Bible is asserting here, God's holy word, is that Jesus has always been God. Jesus will always be God. That he has all authority. That he rules, that he reigns, that he's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. At least that's how the word of God is describing him. Now, should you think that's a little high for you, that he's way up here and ruling at a high level, he doesn't dip down lower, let's peruse the New Testament again. Hebrews 1.3, the writer of Hebrews says, he is the radiance of glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Two things to point out for you. One, well, probably ten, but we'll go with three. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. He's God. Two, he upholds the universe. Now, I don't know how many of you are studying the universe right now, but it's an ever-expanding universe that we live in. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, moment by moment, and it's all held together by the word of his power. That's awesome. That's huge. But see this. After making purification for sins, what did Jesus do? He died for your sin and for my sin. So that the one who holds everything together in an awesome, unbelievably, unfathomable way, the incredible, holy God of the universe personalized himself by coming onto our planet. It says in John that he dwelt among us and dies for us. Steps into our place to die for our sins he makes himself personal and then ascends back to the right hand of god this is jesus we're talking about here sitting at the right hand of the father Colossians 1.17 affirms that too. Paul writes, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All things. Matthew 10.29, Matthew writes, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. Jesus, here it is asserted, That there will not be a bird that falls from the sky without his knowledge. Not a bird. Matthew would further assert that the does not God the Father care about you more than the birds? Yes. It includes the birds. Luke 8:25. Jesus talking to his disciples. Where's your faith? And when they were afraid, and they were And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, 
that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. This is Jesus ruling over nature. All things include nature. The wind and the waves. I promise you this much. Hurricane Matthew is awful, but he's got it under control. I don't know what that looks like. Don't know what that means. I just know he could cease it if he wanted to. With a breath. In Mark one twenty seven. It says, they were all amazed, the disciples, so that they questioned amongst themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. All things includes spiritual beings. That his authority rules over all spiritual beings, regardless of how you want to define them, good, evil, otherwise, He rules over all of them. In Revelation 17, 14, we'll fast forward to the end of the Bible, they, this is now talking about the kings of the earth, will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. It is asserted in Revelation, Daniel, and several other places in the New Testament that a king cannot stand outside of his authority. That he rules over every ruler of every country. Which is to say that Jesus Christ, who rules as king and always has ruled, will rule forever. And his kingdom contains everything, everywhere, including the birds, the fish, the animals. Includes all nature, including the winds, waves, and hurricanes. Includes all spiritual beings, whether good or evil. Includes all flesh, people, whether you're related to them or not. And it includes every ruling entity, whether formally ruling or informally ruling. This all comes from the text. And that Jesus is upholding all of it by the word of his power. Now this is Jesus as according to the scriptures. Absolutely, phenomenally, completely in control of everything with a sovereignty that is absolutely unfathomable among men. So when we come to this and ask ourselves, is he trustworthy? Can he handle this? What will my hope be in? What will my security be in? What will my protection look like? Friends, know this. The ruling God of the universe died in your place. That the sovereign ruler who's in control of everything stepped in and took your place, died on your behalf. That you could have a right and holy relationship with the Father. So that as you should call out, Father, you're able to access the throne room of God where He rules and reigns because of Jesus. You're called to come in with boldness and confidence. See, this is how the Bible describes Jesus. Paul writes in the book of Romans, 8.28 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And a verse that from time to time gets misused, from time to time gets thrown into the worst of all situations, and yet carries incredible truth. For what is put out by Paul in the book of Romans is that God in his sovereignty is working it out. Now, we're not always going to get it. We're not always going to understand. But someday in eternity, it will be made clear to us why he did what he did for our good. And we will worship him for that. Because he's working it all out. Who do you say that he is? And I would challenge you to consider it this way. That what you believe about the king will say everything about the power that is in your life. For if you have a shallow, impotent version of Jesus that you look to, it will be a shallow, impotent version that cannot carry you. It will be a shallow, impotent version that cannot grant you hope. It will be a shallow, impotent version that will not offer you strength, will not offer you protection, will not offer you an, a foundation that will carry through the storms. But if you lean into God's holy word, by the way, great reason to be reading your Bible, yes? That we would know who God is. We'd know who His Son Jesus is. We'd understand His heart. We'd understand His character. We'd know who He was. Because if we have a huge, biblically informed view about who Jesus is, then the Jesus we believe in is shaped by who He says He is and is rooted in, wait for it, the truth. The rock. And that's the Jesus that will carry the day. How he has defined himself, not how we've defined him to make ourselves comfortable. Jesus, as he is in the Bible, changes everything. And it's in seeing Jesus as the Christ, as he is. It's believing in him as the king. It's calling him the sovereign Lord. It's seeing God as he is and not as we've constructed him to be. It's the Christ Jesus of the Bible that will be our sure foundation, our solid hope, our forever protection, our sustaining strength. Because all of those things only come from a sovereign ruling king and cannot be derived from a shallow, hollow version of a man that the Bible rejects that we might claim to feel better about ourselves. Who do you say that he is? This morning as we close, I want to close by showing you the end of a famous sermon that was given by a pastor named Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. 
You have to wonder if his little brother was Abednego. Dr. Lockridge passed away in 2000, preached at Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego for 40 years. Dr. Lockridge gave a famous sermon called, That's My King. Preached for over an hour. I'm going to give you the last three minutes of it. Because what he does in the sermon, I can't touch. What he does here is define for him who the king is, and he leans into it. So I want us to close with that. I'll make a couple comments, and then we'll be done. 